The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Ah, guts up, giddy up. Welcome to the Failure to Stop podcast panel, the number one show where police meet society and culture. Tonight, you're tuning in to Night Shift, true crime, beautiful and audacious Andrea Uplate and myself, Eric Tanzi. We bring you four shows a week on this channel, starting the week off with True Crime Tuesdays, Night Shift. Then we have uh, Last Call on Thursdays, talking about everything else in the news so that you don't sound like an asshole first responder to your civilian friends. Then we got Comm Center Thursday night with Drew Breezy and Jonathan Bates, which is all about dispatch life, playing all that audio from, from different dispatches and all sorts of heinous and crazy calls that have come into the 911 centers. And then Friday, our flagship show, which is our Friday breakdowns. Uh, if you want to like and support the show, if you're watching on YouTube, we are a live show on YouTube, even though 99% of our listenership comes from podcast world. If you are on the YouTubes, hit that like button. If you're on the podcast audio section, give us a five-star rating or review on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Podkite, wherever you consume your uh, podcast audio, give us a rating there. It helps us out big time. Also, I think super chats are back right out of the sin bin. So I think you can drop some money in here and uh, all that money goes back to uh to the crew makes this show just that much better, baby. Um, other than that, tonight's show is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Sleep so good, it's scary. They had one hell of a uh, president's, president's Day sale. Uh, I don't know how much money they took off. I don't know how they stay in business. But you can still use our promo code Wolfpack, and it's the best sleep that you can get in the business. Listen, if you're a first responder and you're not sleeping on a ghost bed, how are you even doing this job? You're probably not doing a very good job at it, which is why violent crime is up all across the country. Because you guys all suck at doing your jobs. You need a better sleep. I'm just kidding. We know it's the politicians. We know that. But you know what makes everything a little bit easier? You know what makes dealing with the bullshit just a little bit easier? Getting a good night's sleep on a bed that's made in the good old, help me out here, USA. 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 Yes. Get you a bed that sleeps so good it's scary. Right now they've got, uh, uh, I think our promo code gets you 30% off. Um, if there's a better deal on the site, just drop Wolfpack or Failure to Stop. Actually drop Failure to Stop in the uh, customer survey that helps us out a lot there. This is credible, but um, right now 30% off, man. 30% off gets you that cooling technology, those cooling sheets, the cooling pillow, the cooling mattress. Again, all made in the USA. Uh, huge supporters of law enforcement um, and one of the, like the oldest American ran betting companies there is pretty cool. That was a new fact. Yeah. That I learned about ghost bed. We love ghost bed, baby. We've always uh, Mike, the cop sleeps on a ghost bed. All the guys are drinking bros. They all sleep on ghost beds. Everybody that I know, Dan, the cop, Mike, the cop, the cop, the cop, they all, uh, they all sleep on ghost beds. Uh, any news in the true crime world before we jump into tonight's one, what is tonight's topic? Two, let's start with this. One, how are you doing? Two, what's tonight's topic? And three, is there any true crime updates before we dive into tonight's topic? Yes. So uh, I'm doing great. It's good to see you. It's been a couple of weeks. I had a whole different co-host last week. So we got to get back into the into the group, into the swing of things. Yeah. yeah. We tried out a little, a little like Jonathan. Swinging. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Sharing podcast partners. So, so, um, so I'm doing great. Uh, and it's good to see you again. And yes, so tonight we're going to talk about the Feeney family murders that took place in Springfield, Missouri back in 1995. And we've got some connections to some a past show that we did there as well. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Hello, everybody. Hey, everybody in the chat. Glad to see y'all tonight. Um, yeah, we're going to talk a little updates. Yes, we are going to mention Murdoch a little bit. That is ongoing and ever-changing, as we all know. But first, let's start. Did you guys hear about these babies in Boston back in November? So there was a 911 call placed in this place, um, Southie Boston. So it's an actually like a really affluent, high-end part of town. Um, really nice place. A lot of uh, like brick Tudor houses, these kinds of things. And there was a call to 911 about remains located in a freezer in one unit of a nine unit home. So picture one large home that each they've kind of um, divided it out to where you can rent out different units, right? So I even looked it up like as of today, one of the units in a place like that goes for around 480, 500,000. That's like 600 Whoa. square feet, one bedroom, one bath. Yeah, that kind of thing. So this is the kind of area we're talking about. So authorities do find these remains. And ultimately, they find the remains of four babies, two girls and two boys that were in a freezer. We don't know how long they've been there. They've been very tight-lipped about this. It's something that's kind of the investigation is obviously continuing, you know, it's ongoing. Uh, The most in detail we've gotten is that one of the babies potentially was up to a year old. Outside of that, we know nothing. So uh, the two girls two boys. Um, This particular unit has been owned by the same woman since the early 80s. And I think if I remember, I think she's now in her early 60s, but they have not named suspects. They don't say anything about uh, the, the lady herself. There's not much information there. I'll be honest that I haven't I haven't really looked into it too, too much. So I could maybe provide more information, but there's really not a lot to be said here other than that. Uh, and they're still unidentified, these babies. So I don't know if it's a situation where, you know, this woman had these children that were hers that died and she put it, who even knows, but that is an investigation that is actively underway in Boston, uh, as we speak. It sounds Super like bizarre. a real cold case. <laughs> All right. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. Uh, okay. Yeah, you, that one actually got me. You made me laugh. All, all right. right. Um, all uh, right. Murdoch. I know there's a lot going on. I know there's a lot going on in the Murdoch. Uh, somebody already mentioned it. We're going to talk I about I watched, oh, I know, but I, before we get into it, I watched a little bit of his testimony. <sighs> Can they just let him kill himself? Can Daddy, they just like papa, mama? Why like, can't they? Man. Can't they do the whole like Epstein thing with him? Just leave him like a perfectly noose shaped sheet hanging in his bedroom. Just let that guy fucking yeah. get it over with. Like, why do we even need this, this trial? Like, why do we even need to keep going with this asshole? What a disgusting family! It's so gross. I mean, it really gross. is gross. And I saw so the three D modeling of how he shot his son. 
what in the absolute fuck have you seen that uh yeah and john and i touched on it a little bit not on that but on the case a little bit last week on any developments from the week prior uh up until last week let me just clear these two things real fast and then we're going to get to Murdoch. not much is going on in idaho although uh, a couple of you sent this to me i saw it as well I take this as really good news. The owner of the uh, the rental home that the college students lived in where they were murdered, uh, the owner of that home has now donated the home to the University of Idaho, and the University of Idaho has decided that it will be demolished by the end of spring semester this spring. So they're going to go on and just tear that down. Uh, there's absolutely no reason on the planet that anybody would want <clears throat> to live there. Um we know one interesting fact. I bet you Lazaro Lopez about- would rent a room in that bad boy today for the right price. Lazaro Lopez, 100%. He's probably with Terry no, Kelch. In the chats, he's, he's in the chats right now. My homegirl made the connection to the Murdoch thing and that's the show Outer Banks, and my mind was blown. Nothing should blow your mind about the show Outer Banks. It's about kids doing kid stuff with a lot of money, unless that's what you mean, just because that's the connection elsewhere. There's nothing, there's nothing there. All right. So mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. texting about that the other day about his, his home girl, his, uh, his, uh, what should we call her? Last row. Sarah Kelch. He gave me some ideas. He, he loves her. Um, so anyway, about Koberger though, the Idaho, the suspect in the Idaho college murders. We knew, we talked before that he was like uh, ugly to women. We know that he had been over uh, overweight growing up and was teased by women. So then moving forward, he's lost weight. He's, um, he's uh, ugly to women. He's actually, he talks down to any marginalized group. So um, homosexuals, minorities, it, anyone uh in certain kinds of ways, he will talk down to them. He was ugly. He was known in his teaching assistant role to be unapproachable. And he was also very well known as a, as a very, very harsh grader. So what I found interesting is that more than one student have come forward to say that, excuse me, that when leading up into the November 13th murders of the four, his grading, his critique had become harsher and harsher. And immediately there was like a drop off and he became more lenient in his grading after the night of the 13th. Oh, so like, mm. do you think like pressure, there was like a release, you know, with that and like his stress was building and building and then he commits this crime. And then now he's like, I don't know, release some pressure there, some steam. Sounds awesome to me. I'll bet you sex after murder right. is pretty fucking dope. I mean, that's what a lot of our cases are literally about. What? That's I'm just saying, I bet it's what awesome. Most of our cases are about. I know, but like, imagine murdering somebody and then going home to your loved one and having an adrenaline dump all over him. John, come back. John. John. John, you don't tell me for one second that you don't think that would be awesome. Like, you don't think no, sex after murder would be No, of course I don't. I, I'm awesome. a normal really? thinking human being. There is not pathology here that is... No. 
You are Let's say it was like a, a, what if it was a righteous murder? Like, what if it was like you smoked a pedo? Can I not just pour uh, a drink? Pedo stuff. And then come back to the house, pour you a little drink, smoke no, you a little stick. No, I can't think about that stuff. No, And then no, fucking just stuff. No. go crazy. No. No. Really? No, 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 no. no. I bet you'd be the best sex in my life. So, okay, number three, Delphi. Nothing much going on there, but we do know that the bail hearing for Richard Allen has been postponed. That's it. Nothing else interesting there. Now, Murdoch, let's talk. Uh, we all know, or a lot of us know, that uh, Alex took the stand, or Alec took the stand uh, last week. A lot of crying, a lot of snot, a lot of blubbering. But interesting thing. He admitted for the first time last week, and let's not get this confused with he was forced to tell the truth because he was caught. Um, he, quote, admitted for the first time last week that he, in fact, had been at the kennels where his wife and son were found murdered just minutes or not long within an hour before their deaths. And we know this because audio on a video clip from his son Paul's phone has Alex's voice on it uh, five minutes before Paul and Maggie's phones were both turned off and shut off and never to be used again down at the kennels. So Paul was shooting video with his phone down at the kennel. Dad's voice is heard distinctly on the video off to the side. But for the last two years, he has claimed vehemently that he was he had not been to the kennels. The first time he was at the kennels was when he found their bodies. So to me, that in and of itself is yeah. huge, huge information. Um, so uh, that was when they finally got into uh, Paul's phone and was able to to figure that out. Uh, finally, uh, prosecution closed cross by listing the names of about four dozen people, family, friends, fellow lawyers, clients, uh, police, and asked Alec if he had ever, you know, if he'd lied to them about any of this story, the timeline, any of the other things. And he agreed that he had lied to most of them. Uh, he said that his testimony is that after a brief visit with Paul and Maggie down at the kennel, he rode the golf cart back to the house to lay down for a bit. The house there at Moselle, again, the house that the housekeeper, Gloria Satter Satterfield, was found dead at a few years ago. Um, he said he laid down for a bit. He got up at 9.02 p.m. and immediately he started making multiple calls to his son and his wife at that time at 9.02 after there had been zero activity detected on his phone for about an hour. Uh, so we just know that before deliberation, jury will travel to Moselle. So the jury will take the field trip out to the hunting grounds. Uh, this was at the request of the defense. They want the jury out there. They say that there's no way for them to articulate spatially uh, the relevance of some of these things just by thinking about it in the jury box. Prosecution didn't really want them out there because they are afraid it will skew their points because in the last 18, 20 months, there's been so much overgrowth, uh, bushes, trees, tree lines, everything looks very different. So to describe mm. sound travel and the way things appear or what people could or couldn't see or could or couldn't hear could be very different now than it was then. Um, mm. So that's kind of what's going on. Somebody sent me a message today saying like, if I talk about Murdoch, am I going to talk about the fact that they weren't getting a divorce? And am I going to talk about the fact that their marriage was <clears> this and this person seemed very invested and that's good. I'm not, I'm not recounting the whole case right now. 
Um, but we do know that there had been some issues with their with their marriage. I'm not sure if they had filed for divorce, but we do know that they were sleeping and potentially I mean, living separately. Obviously, there were some marital issues because he fucking shot her twice, once through the. I mean, boom. he smoked them. So. Did you did you look at the 3D imaging of the shooting? Thought that yeah. was fascinating. I thought that was. Super it is cool. uh, those those renderings are always there's you know that one kind of it's not the same but of the Delphi Bridge, yeah. same idea. Yeah, wow. it's incredible. Yeah, that's, that was pretty cool. It's it pretty crazy. But I mean, like shooting his son and then switching guns to go get the wife, and then the son stumbles out and he has to just shoot him right in the face, like point blank range. Like, how do you wake up every day know that you did that? to your son have you seen the body cam footage from the police officers when they first get on site and alec greets them there yeah okay if you haven't i'll send it to you but i was gonna do a reel where i just kind of talk over as he's doing it because immediately there were like two or three things that i was like "Ooh, like knowing what we know now like red right. flag red flag red flag uh first of all if i find my son dead like i don't know that i could talk can I tell I you that what I, 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 I know I keep it. I don't even want to think about it. Look, I know I keep hearkening on this, but I can't let it go. He was wearing a white I know t shirt. Freshly clean. His son's head had been blown off. Blown no, off. when they get there, so they show up and he is talking to them. I went to him. I don't think they're breathing. Go check on him, please check on him. He has on a bright white t shirt, not a speck of even dirt nothing yeah and you like my shirt would be covered in blood because i'd be trying to you're right like i'd be trying to stuff my i'd be trying to stuff my kids brains back into his skull right that's what i'm saying even if they have no head you're you're everything you can i don't know it's yeah mm -hmm. i don't know i mean i just wish they would the like i said leave like the one body of those. cam footage what's that no, just someone in the chat said uh, Alpha Acre says the body cam footage is so telling, and it really is to be able to see that. Yeah. Um, ugh, his demeanor. Well, good his for him. You know, that. they should just leave one of those noose, um, those noose blankets, noose brand blankets, right in his little jail cell there. Let him finish that job, baby. Or whatever I guess one. was in like. No, he didn't. Well, I mean, he faked that he did. I don't it for a minute. He hi he didn't even do it. He couldn't even do it himself. He hired someone to kill himself, and that didn't even work out. <laughs> like he hired a hitman on himself, and that didn't pan out. Yeah. Well, you know, money can't buy you everything. Money can't buy you everything. What's tonight's story? Um. Happening. We got us a John Feeney murder mystery. Whenever you say John Feeney, I don't know anything about this case. Um, and I'm going to break it down as a former law enforcement officer. And uh, believe it or not, I am a former cop. Uh, and I will be helping break this thing down. So a lot of people that are tuning in for the first time and you're like, what is this show about? Uh, she reads me some true crime stuff. And I say what a cop thinks. And this is all to keep first responders awake in their car on night shift. So uh, it's entertaining yeah. to them. That's why this show is is as long as it is because we uh, pass the time for those guys so don't have to listen to the bullshit radio um when you say john feeney murder i think of principal feeney from boy meets world he was a teacher and yes he was wasn't he a teacher mr feeney he was 
I thought he was the principal. Might have been. Yeah, I guess you're right. He probably wasn't Maybe. I can't remember, but I Mr. Feeney. That was the plot because he has him like every year right. or something. Yeah, Mr. Feeney. Um, what was his first name though? I don't even remember. Can you remember? Something British. <laughs> John. He was British. John. Maybe. John Feeney's a pretty fucking British name. I think uh, so. So let's about another speaking ship of on the pole. But actually, my son today, my wife was like, um, do you want anything British, in though, your... Uh, uh, she was like, do you want any... You know, you know, my eight-year-old, August, he's usually the shy one that like really doesn't talk very much. Um, but this morning, <laughs> like nobody had any coffee. And she was like, Augie, would you like some yogurt? And he was like, yes, ma'am. She's like, would you want... Do you want anything in your yogurt? You want like blackberries? And he's like, oh, I would like some chocolate, please. And we were all just like, I like spit coffee through my nose because I never like he. That's just so far like out of the realm of what yeah, that's he not would him. normally do. So funny though. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's hilarious. That's so cute. Pretty good. Pretty chocolate. Good. Ben Marsh says his name is George Feeney. Is that Marsh? Oh, it was George Feeney, which is also British. Mm -hmm. Some tea and crumpets. For George. For all the right. George. So let's speaking of Boy Meets World and all these other things, let's take it back a little bit. So this uh, murder took place in 1995. It is as of yet unsolved. I can't wait to hear y'all's opinion on this. I kind of touched on it on the Instagram story, but we've spoken multiple times. Does a terrible, terrible personal character make you a murderer? It does not. You could be. But you could be just so awful that everybody kind of wants you to be the one who has done it, and maybe you didn't. And then in we'll that see. case, who gives a shit? Like, let's just find you guilty anyway. Like, if nobody likes you. That's how the justice system should you. work. That's how the justice system should work. I heard you the first time. <laughs> nobody likes you, <laughs> and we all think you did it. <laughs> we don't need evidence. <laughs> Uh, it's like Russia right, right now. So it's like we right, don't know the entire facts about why you're invading Ukraine, but we've always hated you, and so you're probably guilty of everything anyway. So fuck it, let's go. And I'm for that. I'm kind of I'm for that. I do want to know the like who really started this war, but at the same time, I'm like fuck it, it's Russia. Like. Who cares? Like, let's go. I'm not invested in that any more than I need to be at this point. You should be because it's going to be the end of our demise. Ah, everything. It's going to be the end of us. It's the end of the world as we know it. As we know it. It's the That's not how that song goes. All right, so 1995. Yeah, which is when that song came out. Let me take you back. Let's talk about some current events, some current pop culture in 1995. All right. Just to set the scene, let's see what it looked like in Springfield, Missouri, 1995. Brad Pitt was voted sexiest man alive by People magazine. That was nine. Y'all, that was nine. That was 28 years ago. He probably still Pete is Moss. like the world's hottest man. He's not. No. He wasn't then. No. I can't. Yes, I don't know. Well, that's a good looking dude. Because everybody loves him. He's such a good-looking good guy. Looking. It's like Jennifer Aniston. Didn't say he wasn't. I'm not saying that he wasn't. I think that when everybody is like behind the one person, I have a hard time. I don't know. But 
Kate Moss and Johnny Depp. We're still going mm-hmm. strong. You ready mm-hmm. for this one? R.I.P. Coolio's mm-hmm. Gangsta Paradise with Song of the Year. Let's go. 20 Great song. Ago. Great song. Uh, Braveheart won Best Picture. Oh, good movie. The OJ trial was wrapping up. Uh, some actually, side note, some call this case we're talking about tonight the OJ trial of Missouri or of Springfield. That's how some people mm-hmm. think about it. Uh, mm. The Macarena went viral. Oh, mm. Can you do the Macarena? That. Can you do the Macarena without the song? Do you remember it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks I good. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah, you were in your uh, 30s Drew back Barrymore. then. <laughs> now that my early onset is kicking in, I can't remember that stuff. Um <laughs> I think I think you were going through menopause when Macarena came out. (laughs) During the Macarena. (laughs) You're getting hot flashes doing the hey Macarena. It's hot in here. I'm dizzy. (laughs) Drew Barrymore flashed David Letterman. That feels Uh, like Did she really? That almost feels like even longer ago. Do you not remember that? She stood up and like the cameras couldn't see it, but she turned around and faced him. She was young. She's what is she now? Late forties, I think. Yeah, that was twenty-eight years ago. She was young. She was she was probably early, early. Uh, I don't know, in her twenties. Okay. Damn, dude. I mean, old enough to be okay, but. Um, Did Toy she Story ever show her titties in any computer. other movie? Did you Barrymore get naked in any other movies? That's why I'll Google that tonight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, Toy Story was the first computer animated film. Windows ninety five, baby, was in every was in the homes. Windows ninety five. The Starbucks mm. Frappuccino had just been released, and mm. eBay debuted on the internet. So that takes you back ah, a little bit eBay. to nineteen ninety five. All right, man, good old eBay, eBay. dude. So oh, all of awesome. that was not, that was a good year. 95. There's a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah. 95. I got my first surround sound. Um, I got my I first surround kids. sound set up. I got it off eBay. Pretty cool. Oh, that's nice. Ran, ran surround sound through my bedroom. So I could listen to music and watch surf videos on my VHS. We don't Feeney was the teacher promoted to principal, weren't. then took a job teaching at the university they all went to. Andrew Toole, fucking catch up, dude. What are you, you're like 30 minutes behind. No, I'm more concerned with all the people telling us they weren't alive in 1995. Really? I was like yeah, 11. There's been a couple. Me yeah, too. Yeah, I was 11. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We're going to talk. So the Feeney murders. Um, oh, now we will kind of button it up a little bit because there are some pretty yucky, serious things. Uh, that's We're going to talk about some stuff that happened to kids and it gets a little a little yucky for a while. So um, well, good thing we're all first, first responders that listen to this show. I know, but I'm just saying like some of the. We're in the, She's like, get ready, guys. This is nothing you've ever heard before. 
No, I'm talking about just like the humor is going to change a little bit because we're going to talk about some pretty yucky stuff. Um, So first, though, I do want to mention we did a show uh, on the Springfield Three. If y'all didn't listen to it, it's a super crazy case. Same Mm -hmm. town. It's Springfield, Missouri. And it was a woman, her teenage daughter and teenage daughter's friend after a graduation party night from high school all went missing to this day. That was in 1992. So it was three years prior to the case we're talking about tonight. Same town, unrelated entirely, but they all three went missing. Nothing, not hide nor hair of them since. Nobody's recovered. No uh, evidence that we know of that's substantial in any kind of way. Uh, It was a crazy, crazy story. Go back and listen to that. But that was called the Springfield Three. And then three years later, this case happens. Same town. Um, And so when I did that show on the Springfield Three, quite a few of you wrote in and said, you know, wow, that's where I live. Or I remember when that happened, my brother lived there or whatever. So same thing. We're going right back there again tonight. We're going to talk about John and Cheryl Feeney. They had been married for 13 years. They were parents to Tyler, a little boy who was six, and their daughter Jennifer, who was 19 months. Uh, John was a science teacher at the local high school and had been for quite a while. Cheryl was a very successful nurse. Uh, She was team leader of the gynecological surgery department at the local hospital, the uh, local Cox Hospital. Funny bridge again, because the Cox Memorial was... Three years prior, when the Springfield Three went missing, some of the speculation was that they were buried under the parking garage there because the parking garage was just getting constructed and there was Mm. a lot of open space and concrete being poured during the same time they went missing. So that was one of the theories that that their bodies might be under that uh, parking garage. So that's where Cheryl worked. uh, Very successful there and really enjoyed her job. We don't know a ton about their marriage. Cheryl was pretty abundantly known to be uh, very quiet in terms of her feelings and and personal life. She was known to really enjoy her job. Clearly, she did well at it uh, based on the position she had, and she really enjoyed being a mom and raising her babies. So a lot of people have said the same things that kind of those are the two things about her that were consistent. Her mother was interviewed. I, I listened to an interview with mom uh, in preparation for the show and mom's a little bit older now and not in great health, but she did say that, uh, that there had been a time or two that Cheryl had talked to her about potentially leaving John. So we know that their marriage was certainly not ideal. So there was times when she, uh, had mentioned to mom that she might think about leaving, but never, uh, Never any detail on that to her mom. Her mom didn't really know much else about that. Cheryl was adopted as a baby uh, to her parents. And uh, anyway, that's that's all her mom would really say, just that she was a sweet, sweet woman that was very, very quiet. Uh, so then we know that John was brought up with his dad being a pastor. They were kind of in a Bible Belt part of town. Uh, his church was pretty fundamental. Uh, like divorce was... A big time no-no and not only was divorce a no-no but just kind of like the idea of it like if you like there was there's been some I've read some interviews with people who were friends with John growing up and like one of them as an adult did get a divorce and so John John welcomed this guy into his like home church with his family but he lied about the guy being 
divorce. Like he wouldn't even tell the rest of them that. So there's kind of reason to know that because, um, we'll just see if it plays into the case as, as we go on. So let's talk a little character references for John. We really don't have a lot on Cheryl. If she was doing bad things and you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't known. Uh, John, however, as time has gone on and as the case went on, we learned that he was an adulterer many times Mm -hmm. over, but it even goes so far as to, he had some like inappropriate conduct with the students in his class, the girls in his class, they were high schoolers. Keep in mind, uh, one instance, I think he was on the phone with them, which I'm not sure why he was even on the phone with them at all. That's kind of glossed over. But he asked them specifically if they were naked. Uh, there was a show. I mean, I was- always, in fairness, whenever I'm talking to somebody, I usually ask them right off the bat, are you naked? Or if what you are you had wearing? a 17-year-old high school student and you were their teacher. Well, I wouldn't be a teacher ever. So, Oh, I, I know. But if I call you, I usually always ask, hey, what are you, what are you wearing right now? You do not. I do. Every time I talk to you, I've said it every time. You've never had a problem telling me what you're wearing. I have. I don't think you've asked me if I'm naked. No, I just say, what are you wearing right now? And you're usually like, oh, some pajamas and oh, some Crocs. You know, or something stupid. Or I'm wearing my running shorts. All of that happens. All of that happens. So he had the the phone conversation where we know he asked him that, right? We know that he played a game called, oh like vampire the master or it used to be called something else. It's changed names a couple of times. The the mystery, the masquerade, I think the masquerade, something like that. But it's a kind of a creepy online game where you can become a vampire and like basically like lord over people and like murder them. And he would play this with his students. Um just ugh, super weird stuff. He also had affairs with a lot of the teachers he worked with. So this conference that we're going to talk about him going to, he's known. Okay. John knows about it. I'm not going to ask you, John. Um, So we know that when he's gone to this conference before this teaching conference, he has had um, affairs with women. there, other teachers. There was a video that came out of him and another male teacher and another female teacher on a boat one summer He's, this guy's out just kind of living it up outside of his family. Did, did you get the media assent or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can show their family picture if you want to get an idea. Yeah, there he is. Uh, not a looker. Um, what are you talking about, dude? That dude's handsome, bro. Look at that mustache. Got them glasses. No, I listen. I'll be honest. I like a mustache. That's not the one. Oh, okay. So here's a picture. This is I think God, he much looks more like a pedophile. Voice. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think the yearbook picture does him way more justice than yeah, it does. It, yeah, more flattery than it deserves. How's this guy fucking smashing all these? So well, exactly. Teachers. So that's what that's what even Cheryl's mother said um she was she even said like in her 90s and she was like he was kind of tubby and he was not real tall and he kind of had you know she was like we never really saw what cheryl saw and i mean like a lot of people said that um anyway uh so this married dude is hooking up with all these 
other married teachers or single teachers yeah. or yeah both? and yeah they were married too um i think all four of the ones that we're going to talk about that testified at the hearing were married because they had to actually all four of them within like a week up until a day before their witness testimony or character witness testimony uh told their husbands because it was going to come out that they had been doing Damn, that dude how do you think that conversation went down oh it's awful i mean it's horrible Fuck. to think about all of it just don't do it it's awful awful so that was going on he was inappropriate with the kids he had all this extramarital stuff going on uh these women did as well it's just a whole big nasty cesspool of gross um, i guess there's not really so, much to do in springfield missouri so it's probably like i mean his wife seemed board. to figure it out she just put her head down and went to work and took care of her kids right but you know maybe maybe those other teachers and and this guy you know they want a little bit more out of life they want a little bit more excitement they couldn't find that in springfield missouri it gets really weird though because love in a hopeless place well one of the teachers said that um he she remembers being with him when his wife was pregnant with the baby the youngest mm. and he seemed like her testimony was that he seemed excited for the baby it's almost like he was talking to these women in a happy way about his marriage like about his family mm -hmm. but still I, I don't know i don't know it's really weird maybe he told um, him that it was an open open relationship they didn't testify to that not one of them said that oh they just no, were like man this guy was like did it hurt when you fell from heaven and they were like yeah and then we hooked up <laughs> The husbands are like, man, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, Damn. I don't know. It blows my mind. So let's talk about what happened that this night. So on February 25th, 1995, that was a Saturday. That morning, uh, John stayed home with the kids and Cheryl went out to do a little bit of shopping. She came home. They all ate lunch together. And then he February packed his bags. By the way, cheese. really quick, February 25th was this last Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Mm -hmm. Dun dun. So it's so it's a Saturday. Twenty eight years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. All right. So so it's a Saturday. So, mm -hmm. so she comes home. Mm -hmm. They eat lunch together. The whole family. Again, the kids are six and nineteen months. He then packs a bag and leaves. He's going to Interface 95. It was a teacher's workshop that was an annual event. He went every year and it would go on from uh, Sunday uh, through a couple days into the week. So he packs his bags and leaves. She says goodbye to him and that's that. All right. Well, little Jennifer had been getting over an ear infection. They'd been kind of dealing with that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit or why that might be relevant. Uh, as part of his reasoning for some things later on. But so he leaves, gets on the road. He's going to this conference that was about 90 miles away from the family home. So he gets there. He meets up with one of the other teachers, a female that was there. They leave to go to dinner. Well, while they are going to dinner or they're coming back from dinner, I should say, and he gets pulled over. So this is one of our first actual timestamps we have that's concrete okay keep in mind mid 90s your your cameras in places like hotels 
are far and few between. And if they did have them, they're probably taped that are going to get taped over the next night if nothing's happened. So, you know, it's not like we can pull up like we can now and track per stoplight and per hotel, like people's movements, you know, you couldn't do that. So you kind of have to rely on things like this. Like he gets a speeding ticket. Boom. That's one concrete time. So since he got the speeding ticket 90 miles away from home, this is uh, an interesting law that they had there in their jurisdiction. Uh, It's a bit antiquated, but the story goes that since he was over X amount of miles from home, they were going to take his license. He had to go to the station and physically pay for the ticket there to retrieve his license back because so he wouldn't Mm. skip town without paying the ticket. Right. Uh, So that's what happens. He and the, the woman go back to the hotel they had previously in years past um, had sex. So they go back to the hotel at the same time, but instead of retiring into the hotel together, he tells her he has a headache. They were going to mm. go to like some dinner function or party that night. So they part ways around nine fifteen. So that's the last she has any interaction with him. She goes back to her room, goes on about her night. He <clears throat> calls home a couple of times and, uh, I think no one answers. He's not too worried as the weekend goes on, by the way, when he calls and no one answers because he's justifying it by saying that since the baby had had an ear infection, maybe Mm. Cheryl had taken the phone off the hook so it wouldn't disturb her if she's finally asleep and these kinds of things. So that's his, uh, his rationalization for this. So he leaves the apartment or the hotel that evening after he's split ways with the lady and goes to the police station around 1030 PM. So that's another hard time we have. So he's still 90 miles from home at the police station um, at the police station at 1030 p.m. paying his $60 and getting his license back. Now from 1030 that night until at least seven o'clock the next morning, we don't have concrete evidence on where John was. You will hear that there have been witness testimonies that they heard noises in his room overnight. Uh, that's speculation we we don't know if there were in fact noises or if that even means that he was in the room that night you know or what's going on there so so that's john that's what's going on with him well back home 90 miles away in springfield mom and tyler and jennifer get ready for bed um they all have on night clothes saturday night comes and goes sunday rolls around uh i believe her mother calls her they kept in pretty close contact No one was answering. Uh, Her brother calls. He calls again the next day. Then John is calling some point on Sunday, but nobody's really talking to each other. No one's too worried at this point. So this was Saturday night, then Sunday. Come Monday morning, now this would be when Cheryl would leave around 5 a.m. to go to her shift at the hospital, right? So babysitter's supposed to come over. Babysitter can't get in touch with Cheryl. So she calls and calls and calls. When she can't get in touch with Cheryl, she starts calling John at school. She calls his school, not knowing much about his conference or anything like that. He wasn't even supposed to be at school, right? So, excuse me. So she calls the school. They eventually get in touch with John. Meanwhile, other people are calling. The hospital's getting concerned that Cheryl's not showing up. So they start calling friends and family, all these things, because it's really out of character for her not to be there at work when she's supposed to be. So eventually, John's mom, so Cheryl's mother-in-law, and she's also her co-worker, 
goes to the house. When she gets to the house, this is Monday morning. No one's seen them for um, probably about 36, 40 hours by now. She gets to the house. She knocks. She knocks on windows. She's getting a little concerned. I think she's starting to have that weird feeling that, you know, something's just not right. She opens the door and the door is unlocked. As soon as she opens the door, she sees that the first room she sees looks like it's in disarray and she is alarmed. So she immediately comes back out and calls local deputies. When they get there, this one guy gets there. We're going to talk about how this goes. I think that the population in Springfield at that time was around 150,000. So it was not a small town, but every report I see says that it had a small town feel, right? So Mm -hmm. it really had low, low, low crime, definitely not violent crime. People felt very comfortable and very, very safe there. And I'm saying that because I'm not sure how many murders this deputy has encountered, if any. All right. So some of his actions moving forward are not ideal looking back on, but, um, or even the way they kind of handle the scene, but it is what it is. So, excuse me, guys, we have about 18 inches of yellow pollen on the ground in North Carolina right now. (laughs) I can't like clear my throat or get a breath. Is it like that where you are? Uh, I'm immune to pollen, so I don't really pay attention. I mean, I notice that there's dust everywhere, but my vehicle is black and it is yellow. Like it's just covered in yellow. <clears throat> anyway, mm-hmm. so I apologize that I'm clear my throat. No, I took uh, I took some true grit and some intestinal fortitude before oh, I came in tonight. So cute. I'm ready to go. I feel good. That's cute. So, so she calls nine one one. An officer comes out. And he's going to assess the situation. She tells him she thinks maybe there's a burglary. The first room is a bit um, disheveled. I'm done with last rope for tonight. Hang it up. Call it quits last rope. Um, He's on fire tonight. I know. He's so good, dude. I've been biting my tongue all night. I just can't do it anymore. (laughs) So... So the officer gets there. He starts to look around. Well, he lets, and I guess if you're thinking maybe it's a general welfare check, it's not necessarily terrible. He did. We know he probably shouldn't have, but he lets the other, he lets the mother-in-law walk in with him as he's kind of assessing the house. Okay. So they see the living room that's disheveled. Some drawers are out. Some things are on the ground. He turns a corner in the hallway and he opens up a bedroom door and he looks in. It's uh, Cheryl and John's bedroom door. He looks in and I'm sure he makes a certain kind of face. Uh, He had said, he says later that as he turned the corner, he smelled the unmistakable scent of blood. Uh, Mm. When he looked in the room, he, his face falls. She, the mother-in-law looks at him and said, what's the matter? You know, is she dead? And he said, see for, can't even say it. He said, see for yourself. And he didn't say it hateful. Dark, dude. I I really think, I've thought about this so much, I really think he was in shock. I am quite sure he's not seen anything like this before. I do think he just kind of froze and just said, see for yourself. I I don't think. I think he froze in the moment. She proceeds to look in there. We're going to talk about what she sees. They basically then proceed down through the house together. I mean, they're both seeing the crime scene at every turn instead of ushering her out at that point. Like, nope, get out. Uh, She's up and down the hallway looking in and out of rooms. So she's seeing things that she shouldn't see at all. 
including meaning the bodies of her daughter-in-law and her two grandchildren. So when she walks into Cheryl's room, Cheryl has her nightgown on. She They have a water bed, okay? This is important because she's face down. Uh, she's been beaten in the face with what is later to be determined as a metal pipe that's about a half an inch in diameter. Uh, beaten to death there. Over the bed on the wall was paint, words written in paint, a beige or white paint that say die bit, B-I-T. Now, if you, a lot of reports say uh, that it says die bitch. If you, the original reports don't say that. It says die B-I-T as though maybe someone got startled in the moment and had to stop uh, mid, mid writing. I don't know. We'll come back to the paint. It's very important. There's a lot more to do with paint as well in terms of the crime scene. So Cheryl is face down on the bed. Again, she's clothed in her nightgown, beaten in the face with a metal pipe to death. But the water bed had been turned to its highest setting, so it was extremely hot, causing her to decompose more rapidly. Right. Um, so then they go down the hall to the kiddos' rooms. Tyler, the six-year-old, um, is also face down in his pajamas. He suffered the same fate as his mother. He died the same way. Uh, and there was, a, this to me was a big tale, but there was a pillow over his face. And mm. then uh, moving down the hall again, we go, we find the baby's room and Jennifer's in the crib. She also was laying on her um, with her back up, laying on her belly, but she had been um, asphyxiated. She'd been strangled with uh, the cord of a blind. Um, so that's how she died. All right. So moving forward, when you walk in the door, the front door has that, you know, rectangular glass that you can kind of see into the home with mm -hmm. the inside of that glass had been painted with that white beige paint. So we would assume, mm -hmm. so no one can kind of see in maybe as they're walking by. All right. So then there's, um, paint, paint kind of everywhere. So there are paint tracks on size 12, no, excuse me, size 11 shoes. Uh, very, very noticeable paint tracks on size 11 shoes. You can tell uh, the, the pattern of the sole, et cetera. The interesting point to this is as you walk through on the carpet, the paint doesn't decrease. It's the same, consistent, same consistency of paint, excuse me, from when, he, from when whomever walks in until they get through the house. As though, they've said it looks as though he's almost painting the soles of his shoes to keep walking. It's it's looking uh, more and more changed as time goes on. They're yeah, saying it is glossy. I mean, it's uh, like I have stepped in paint and then like mm -hmm. walked through my kitchen and been like fuck. And then like I mean, it's it. I mean, it's the same beautiful. This was carpet. Print. Well, carpet I mean, yeah, more. yeah. But I mean, I, I I would like get some paint on your shoes and go walk around the carpet. I bet you they'd be shocked about how far that shit goes. Well, I know it goes far. I mean, it, you're going to leave a track for a long time, but the fact that it was just more than one investigator said it was just odd to see it didn't change consistency at all. I mean, it stands to reason right. the carpet's going to absorb it somewhat, you know, I like mean, not why, would the, I mean, why would the dude fucking paint his shoes before he took a step? I mean, like you would have to be a balancing magician. 
take a step, pick your foot up, paint it, put your foot back you down. Like you'd take, be you dripping. would have to paint it every single step. And then you'd have to but hold the paint in one hand. You'd have to hold a brush in the other hand. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to hold. And a you've got a metal pipe that you've you've got a metal pipe that you've killed somebody with that you got to hold too. Well, maybe you've and then there's a reason why. What would be the and now you're setting the scene. Why would the motive, like, what would be the motive? What would be the purpose? I would imagine if you don't want someone to think that you live there, that whoever did this lived there. We'll talk about it. So, okay. So, the paint is just one very odd thing. So, the inside of the, the glass on the door was painted, like I said, the words die, bit, bit on the wall. Mm-hmm. That was actually brought into evidence. They cut out a five by 10 foot section of the wall to uh, bring in to trial. Um, so, the another thing that was very strange is the door to the garage from inside the house was open. So the internal door that would look into the garage is open. The garage door itself is shut. So when you look into there, you can see some stuff's going on with Cheryl's car. Her car was, um, the hood was up and there was uh, a battery charger hooked to her battery. However, upon testing, her battery was not dead. So it doesn't seem to stand to reason that her battery, that she would have a battery charger on her car, right? The trunk was full of belongings from the home. They've not gotten super specific on all of those, but it was like full of just random stuff. There was stuff piled on top of the car as well. I think the one more telling aspect of all of this is the back door to get inside. So picture the door plate that connects the door to the door jam, right? The, the, the flat plate with the screws. The door had been made to look pried open at the latch, but upon like, like pried open to where it like came off the hinges or had like, it had been pried and kicked and it was off the hinges. Right. But the screws were clean. There was no pulp, no wood, no matter. They had been unscrewed. The plate had been unscrewed. You can only unscrew it from the inside of the home. The plate had been unscrewed on the door and the door kicked to the side but again with uh like like pry marks on the latch like to appear as though it had been pried open and kicked but that was the first that door was the first indicator that this looked like a staged crime scene um and then the paint on the shoes the way that was we talked about the water bed being turned all the way up the heat in the house was turned all the way up uh all of the pictures all of the family pictures in the home were turned to face the wall. Um, mm, super weird. So moving forward, this is what they see. They start making phone calls, start trying to figure things out. The timeline that I told you about is what we have. So the last hard time we have on John is 10.30 p.m. when he was at the police station paying his speeding ticket. And then we have a McDonald's receipt from seven o'clock in the morning there in the town that his conference was taking place at. So we don't have anything hard that puts him in Springfield, 90 miles away overnight. We also don't have anything hard that keeps him at the conference either for that matter. The only thing that did happen, unfortunately for prosecution, the one witness they had was um, a gentleman who worked at the local convenience store in Springfield where the murders took place. And he stated he, his witness statement initially was that 
<clears throat> he had he ID'd John's face and his red Mustang at around I think his thing hit changed like three times his story. I think it started at one PM and then he or one AM, excuse me, overnight that Saturday into Sunday. Then he said, No, it was three thirty. Then he said, No, it was four. And he was the big witness for prosecution. He was really what they had to put John there in Springfield overnight around the course, you know, when the murders would have taken place. And then we find out later, unfortunately, uh, that this dude didn't even clock in to work until six o'clock in the morning. So he fell through. Uh, who knows? Who knows why he lied about that? But um, that's really all they had. So in terms of evidence or in terms of really anything to tie John to the crime other than his character being terrible. We don't really have anything. They did charge him though. So they charged him. It took about 14 months to get an indictment in that 14 months. He lived in the home. He didn't get rid of the waterbed. <laughs> uh, he didn't clean up the paint there were some reports, some of this is hearsay, but that he, you know, like the blood wasn't actually properly clean and his reasoning, his rationale. when when he was asked, he was asked multiple times about this, how can you do this? And, you know, how can you even possibly spend a night there? And he just said something about the memories that he felt like if he moved, he would lose the memories where I would argue that the only memories there are those of your children being slaughtered in their home and any good memories you can have anywhere else you go of your family. Um, now we so ruled out a, that like if the dude's fucking a bunch of married chicks, like a husband, could, could this not been like a scorned husband that was like, I know he's at that conference and I know he's probably banging my wife? It could be. I feel like it doesn't make sense though in victimology. Like it doesn't make sense uh, turning the family pictures around, putting a pillow over the boy's face. That seems very familiar. Uh, the children, it'd be one thing to kill the wife to get retribution. The children, I'm not so sure about. Uh, yeah, it's true. Like, you'd have to be like, I mean, you know, yeah, you'd probably go kill him. Like, the, you wouldn't go kill the family. I mean, you might kill the wife if you were that angered, like, just to hurt him. I mean, maybe, um, but not the children. Again, don't don't forget that door, for, that door coming off, like, being unscrewed to, to be made to look like it had been kicked in. It's yeah. that, you know, that's very interesting to me. The pain is very interesting. So we also find out that, uh, okay. So say it takes him 14 months to get the indictment again. He's ugh, living in that home. Yes, John, I'm going to get to that in one moment. Um, he was living at home the whole time, uh, and he goes to trial. So it was a jury of eight men and four women. It took three days to pick the jury. I can promise, I would assume that, um, I, d I don't do the man woman thing a whole lot, but there are some times when I think it does make a difference. And in this jury selection, I do think it would have, I think, uh, had it been a little bit more women heavy, potentially we'll see, but, uh, John's making some good points here in the chats. Um, so they returned a verdict in, I think it was like five hours, which was not guilty. Now, I will tell you that they later have come back, many of the jurors, to say, I don't think he was innocent. They have almost all said that conclusively. I don't think he was innocent. However, 
per our justice system, you are innocent until proven guilty. And they did not feel that prosecution could prove the case. They did not think it was within, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, do we have the, do we have the murder weapon? No. Mm -mm. So, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I mean, so what did homeboy, I mean, that's a lot of work to be done. You're going to leave a conference, you know, at 10 o'clock at night. And then that puts you home. He was less than an hour and a half away. Boop. Oh, so let me tell you this. That McDonald's receipt for seven o'clock in the morning when under first, when he was first questioned, it's kind of like Alec saying that he forgot he was at the kennels before Maggie and Paul died for two years. Uh, John stated that he woke up around nine o'clock that morning because he had to be at a speaking event at like 10 a.m. or so in Springfield, something like that. So he maintained that story for a while. Everyone, every single person that knows him, when asked this question like a character witness, said that he uh, never woke up earlier than he had to. In fact, he was known to be kind of rolling in at the last second, if not late to most mm. things, and he was not an early riser. So he would not wake up earlier than he had to to be to some speaking engagement at 10. That said, right. he said he woke up at 9 or whatever time he said he woke up. And then they have this McDonald's receipt. And then he said, oh, yeah, I forgot that morning I got up at 630 and grabbed breakfast before the speaking event. And all of his friends were kind of like, that doesn't sound like him. So the theory, those that believe he is Mm. guilty say that that breakfast wasn't because he. That this was. him coming back into town from being gone all night, committing these murders and getting some food and going back to the hotel. Right. Yeah. That's, that's wild. That's like, I I mean, and and Murdoch, you know, like Murdoch murders or whatever. I can't, I can't imagine where you're at in in your life where you could kill your kids. No. Well, like I just don't get it. Yeah, it gets weird. Ask somebody, okay. hey, my where the chats would be is like doing something weird. Is it doing something weird on your end? What do you mean? Like normal. It's just saying that uh, we're uploading, you and I. Can everybody hear and see us, right? Is it fine? Yeah, we're good. Okay. I don't have the chats anymore. It like went away on my end. You got to go back up to comments. Um, Click comments. Go at the top. Yeah, but I don't know comments. why. Why did it just kick off? It doesn't matter. Okay. So, no, I see. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. We're back. Okay. okay. Uh, I just want to make sure I wasn't like lagging or something. Um, All right. So it gets crazy. So here's the super. Well, it gets really yuckier. Okay. So the little boy. Um, okay. One of the things real quick in terms of crime scene investigation and how this went, what they didn't do, they did not check for fingerprints on the crib where the child, the baby was found murdered and they did not check for fingerprints on the headboard of Tyler, the son's bed. Okay. So there's that. They didn't check for any blood in any of the drains either. Um, so if, Your internet's like going like really bad in and out. So what you're saying is that while your internet catches up. 
you they 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 didn't they didn't run for fingerprints on the um, crib and what do they do with the blood they didn't am i back am i good yep they didn't check for blood in any of the drains of the home any sinks or bathtubs oh huh i mean um, i guess they're not used to processing murder scenes right exactly so okay also you know do you remember those woven belts back in the 90s and like you'd like buckle them and then like tie it and not leave it hanging down yeah yeah so he was known john was known as so many people were to wear one of those at that time that's what he wore every day well when authorities get to the crime scene uh there is one of those belts that is like rolled up on the counter like kind of perfectly so on the kitchen counter right right if you go back to the the footage of him being pulled over there's footage of him when he was pulled over for that speeding ticket the night of the conference when he mm-hmm. was with the lady he leans forward uh to reach for his credentials and or his license or whatever and you can see that he has on a woven belt right it's kind of hanging down the front mm. of his pants well um that's fine plenty of people had him right the day of when they found that at the crime scene again there's one rolled up on the kitchen counter when they went to bring him in on charges uh he was not wearing a woven belt nor could he produce one they actually asked for it it wasn't in suitcase it wasn't in his hotel it wasn't in anywhere he was staying at the time so they've never been able to find his belt so the theory from a lot of folks people who work the case and otherwise is that he walked in she they were all in bed and the theory is that he basically disrupted like he took his clothes off so he wouldn't get dirty or bloody in the kitchen took his belt off put it just so did what he had to do um there's some inconsistency some people like to hearken on the fact that he wore a size 12 shoe and the shoe imprints and paint were a size 11. i could care less if your state let's assuming that let's say that if he did it he's staging a scene too easy to grab a pair of shoes not your size for that exact reason i'm not really that doesn't that doesn't bother me at all or deter me from, right like go know, size nine though like go size nine don't go like size well, 11 that's super close to your I own know. feet but you know what i mean like when some people are like well couldn't have been him that's a different size shoot what well, doesn't make any sense at all um no if it was like a size so nine tromping through the house yeah yeah maybe yeah so the belt was another interesting point mm. again because they never ever found his now where i said it gets yuckier um the little boy upon doing blood work of the bodies, Tyler, the six-year-old, was found to be positive for hepatitis B. Now, hepatitis B is a bloodborne pathogen that is only transferred via body fluids um, that contain blood or semen, vaginal secretions, etc., or you know, a shared needle. So, some many years ago transfusions, vaccinations, maybe if you're not looking at drug drug use, that's very unlikely in the mid-90s. It can happen. Uh, I think that people would be more concerned with some sort of implicit uh, sexual activity with the boy. They, upon the autopsy, uh, they did find that his, um, that there was dilation to the anus and that there was some old scar tissue. So it certainly speaks to, he was, he had probably been abused. Um, 
Now, no one else in his immediate family tested positive for Hep B, including his father. So this is one of those things where one of the theories is that whoever was doing this to the child came back and killed the whole family. Um, I am a bit more under the suspicion that unfortunately these are just two separate bad events that the kid had been molested and then separately his family gets murdered. I don't necessarily think that they are connected. Some people said that, well, whoever did this probably had Hep B. Well, the kid didn't contract Hep B the night of his death. It takes, it takes uh, on average around eight or nine weeks for it to show up in the blood once you are infected. So he wouldn't have just gotten infected the night of his. And in fact, like I said, there was some old scar tissue there. So like whatever had happened to that child had either was current or it had been a while since it happened, but it had been happening previously. Uh, Gosh, I feel feel like you need to take your case there and try to figure out who was molesting this kid. And like, we need to start questioning where this kid was at. How old was this kid? Right. Six. Like we need to fucking figure out what church he's going to, what school is. It's probably, probably start with the church. Oh, so moving forward, John was tried and found not guilty. Again, the jurors say that uh, they do not consider him innocent, but they just, there was not a case that could prove it to them. Um, so John says craziest theory I heard was that dad was going to crazy sex parties and taking the boy with him. I read that as well. Um, there, there were a couple of things about that. There was one that said that, um, there was a grandparent who refused to submit their their DNA sample. I'm not sure that I, or their blood sample. Some of that gets in the weeds because I'm not sure, but I did absolutely uh, read that, John, and it's uh, terrible. Um, I don't know that with his dad's behavior, it's just really tough when someone acts the way this guy acts, that does not equal murderer, right? It doesn't have to anyway, but man, does it not make you want to think it was him? So he moves forward. He, um, lives in that house for quite a while after he was found not guilty and then eventually uh just felt like he had a bullseye on his head back home he moves to ecuador to start a as a missionary um in some like fundamental belief something he starts there he gets remarried and has a daughter what there he stays after all that somebody fucking like this guy this guy's got a 10 inch dong. But this isn't a big famous case. Huh? This isn't a big famous case. So someone in Ecuador wouldn't have necessarily known. Oh, it was in Ecuador that he finds love. He moved to Ecuador. So he marries an Ecuadorian chick. Yes. I'm assuming. And he became, he started, yes. And he started a missionary there and also taught. So I read some like, um, like interviews with, you know, people who are currently or who had been his students. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So anyway, so it's considered unsolved. A lot of people will say that they feel like it didn't get the attention it deserved once he was found not guilty. Um, And then a lot of other people will say, well, I think that authorities were pretty set on the fact that it was him. And once he was found not guilty, you can't try him again. And it was kind of done, done. I read some things from someone who claims to have been a detective on the case. Maybe, maybe he was, I don't know. Uh, But this gentleman did say 
that there was so much that didn't come out in the trial. Basically, he was like this a hundred percent. He did it. Like there was so right. much that was not disclosed, or you know, the trial was privy to. It is what it is. Like, but he. Has oh, no that's a, that's a, that like, was, was the whole thing with the OJ though. trial. It's like, yeah, they knew one hundred percent that OJ killed him. But the fucking, right. you know, we're all we're also like pro defense that you know they retarded the the trial so much by not allowing certain things in and you know um oh because this knife with oj's handprints are all over it but because it was put in this bag in the improper way it doesn't get to be shown to the jury but like it absolutely proves that he fucking killed her you know so i, I get that man that is mm. um i found another picture of the family i'm gonna bring it up here really fast yeah there's um, one of the whole family yeah, I uh, here's the picture of the whole family because his wife was pretty good looking. She's not a dog. That. And that I little can't boy. Oh my god! Killed the boy. What a creepy piece of shit, though. Well, like, and just the I'm life sorry. that chip, that child had, like the life just that kid letting... had. You know what I mean? Like. Uh. Yeah, what a sad case. I wish we, I wish we knew more about the boy. I know. Can they not like <sighs> unbury this boy and try to find some DNA in his ass or something like that that they can twenty three and no, me? No, because they didn't, they didn't find it. They didn't find it then. They, the technology was there then for at least if there had been. Um, oh, what I didn't touch on was um, there was uh, a hair found on her gown that did not match John's and there was a gray hair found oh. on a paintbrush that did not match John's either. There was a what? A gray? Um, mm-hmm, that didn't match his DNA. And John's talking about a wrongful death suit. Uh, there was her family put on uh, a wrongful death suit that he eventually got dropped. But what, <laughs> let me, let me talk about why they thought they had a motive. He, had increased like four months prior her life insurance plan um which here's the deal while that's shady or can be on the surface it could people just do that people adjust life insurance plans and then if somebody dies that doesn't mean they killed them like this can happen but he had adjusted the life insurance plan also he claims when when the crime scene was investigated her purse was missing and like <laughs> It was made to look ransacked, but really, when you look closely, anything that belonged to John was like stacked, like pulled out of the drawers and stacked nice and neat, like his files. They weren't in disarray. They were like pulled out, drawers left open, but stacked um, orderly. Uh, so her purse was missing, but all of the cash, all the money, everything else was still at home. No money was taken. It was very much staged to look like a robbery, but nothing was actually taken. Now, John claims that over 300 items were stolen and insurance did not find him fraudulent in their death. And so they awarded him the money off of the insurance claim of the over 300 items he said were stolen from the home. So. Mm. Mm. Wow, what a piece of shit. And Mike is asking I mean, for a warrant for owner of DNA evidence. Huh? What's that? Well, other people were talking about um, the DNA. Again, keep in mind, we did have DNA technology that could have tested for semen um, when they when they examined the little boy's body. So 
semen there would have been found had something happened that night. If things had happened much prior, we wouldn't have found that anyway. So that you really can't hearken on DNA for that if it had been days or however long before, you know, since he had been um, abused. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I feel like they should. The fact that he went down to Ecuador and got remarried, man. Fuck, I feel sorry for that one. Damn. Yeah, well. Yeah, I don't know. That's a wild case. I can't believe that it hasn't been solved, but I don't know. I mean, you'd think like with all the cold case technology, that there would be some way they could revisit this and look at it from another angle and say like, all right, hey. Like, I mean, is that, is that crib still in evidence? Like, where's that crib at? Well, exactly. And that's what we've talked about before, because, you know, if you, if you go into, I guess it doesn't matter because if they know that he did it, it's not a cold case. What they're saying is that this motherfucker did it. So we don't need to go find anybody else. Like we know a hundred percent he did it. We just put together a shitty case because we don't do that many homicide cases. Right. And so we fucked up. So like that's just and now it. we're in double jeopardy. And at that and point, we, we should just again. go kill that motherfucker. You want to go to Ecuador? South America's <laughs> oh, nice this time. Well, of year. you pay the ticket. I'll go do the deed. Then I'm gonna have the best sex of my life afterwards. Justified murder sex. Fuck yeah! I'll let you know how it goes. Um, I'll let you know if it's as good as the hype. I'll let you know okay. if it lives up to the hype after I go I to still McDonald's. Haven't found- you weren't go to McDonald's. I wasn't. Uh, you weren't here last week, but I found some bones, and now John is implicated with me if they turn out to be human. But I'm still waiting to hear back from the president of the anthropology department at the college here. Wait, you found bones? bones? I found bones. What kind? Where did you find bones? On the beach. Are they humans? That's what I'm trying to determine. <laughs> Why are they, why are you looking at human bones on the beach? Who'd you fucking I don't think they are. I think that they're probably from a pig. I think there was a pig picking and we're gonna call it a day. But oh. it smells really This would be bad. the second like, cold case that you've solved in Wilmington. Ugh. It smells so bad. And there was a guy that went missing here a few weeks ago in the water and it was kind of some really weird circumstances and now his stuff's washing up and that's the only thing that makes me feel weird about all of this. But I think it was mm. a pig. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Could you could solve a John second case? Says, <laughs> I I showed the bones last week on the show, and John said, "What is that? A snake's finger?" And that's what he just put in the comments. Yeah, yeah what? Like, like where do you have the bones? Is that your house? They're now on my front porch. I brought them in to show them to John after the show last week, and then when I put a paperclip in the marrow, I almost vomited, and I had to take them back out because they smell so bad. Why? I mean, did you call like? Did you call the cops or anything and say that you found bones? No, I'll drop them off. Like, you could have just fucked up this, like, crazy murder case. No, they were washed up on the beach. It wasn't a crime Dude, okay, so, like, here's here's the true crime episode that some other, uh, uh, you know, 40-year-old lipstick-wearing true crime girl is going to be like, and so this lady was walking down the beach and she found the bones and get this, here's where it gets weird. She took the bones home stating they smelled so bad and she actually poked them 
in the bone marrow and almost made herself vomit. Is that fucking crazy? And the other guy's going to be like, why would this stupid bitch take bones home? She didn't call the police. Oh, here's the kicker. She's a true crime podcaster. Like, no I way. think they're pig bones. What? I think it's a pig femur and a pig tibia. That's my guess. You should have called the police. It's not a crime scene. It wasn't a crime scene. Well, how is it not a crime? You found human bones. That's a crime scene. I didn't say human. I didn't say human. I think they're pig bones. I think somebody had a pig picking. They got a little while. They threw the bones out. They washed up. I think that the you thought that there was a possibility enough that they were human bones that you took them home with you. I didn't bring them home because I thought they were human. I thought they were cool. You just wanted to have some pig bones. I thought that the kids would think they were cool because I found some other really good like beach stuff. So I just brought it all. I didn't think they were human. Oh my god! Oh, they're not human. They're not human. Then why did you start I, the whole not. thing off with it could be human? Because then when I was talking to John, I remembered that the guy went missing three weeks ago and now his stuff is starting to wash up. And then I started thinking about it. <sighs> My God, man. My God. They're not human. And now I'm in now I'm now I'm uh, accessory to the crime because I know about it. You tampered with a crime scene. For all I know, you killed this guy. It wasn't now a you're crime harboring scene. It's his not bones. A crime scene. When they wash up, I, it's not a crime scene. It is absolutely a crime scene one when was bones in the rocks wash up. And one was like 15 feet down the way by the little urchins. This is ridiculous. I can't even believe. <laughs> They're pig I don't bones. even know why we're friends. Yeah. Are you going to get them tested? Yeah, that's why I what emailed this... the anthropology department. Oh, my God. Why wouldn't you just call the police and say, I found some bones. I'm not sure. I, I think they're pig bones, but I know that there's this asshole missing, and I may have his bones on my front porch. Sorry, but they're covered okay. in pollen. <laughs> Greg I think they're a little too like robust. They're in a Ziploc bag because they smell too bad. <laughs> oh, I'm not unziplocking it either. It's terrible. They're in a Ziploc bag. You're the cr- most batshit crazy person I've ever met. Who the fuck finds <laughs> bones on the beach and thinks it's cool to th- that stink <laughs> to put them in a Ziploc bag and to take I didn't them know home? They stunk when we were outside. What's wrong with you? I didn't know they stunk till I got home, and then I had to get back in my car, and then I was like, oh. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna they're, go home and watch it. Thanks. Stop. The fact that it doesn't matter if they're they're pigs or not. The fact that you took bones off the beach is good. On last call, we just talked about a woman who tried to fly back to Detroit, Michigan, from her little beach uh, beach trips, and it was discovered that she had the skull of a dolphin in her luggage. And they were like, "Why the fuck do you have a skull of a dolphin? It's Why protected is that animal. You can't have a dolphin skull in your bag." Because it's, it's like stupid. an anti-poaching stuff. You cannot have the bones, like an eagle, like a bald eagle's bones. Like you cannot have being Because you find them, you can't have them? 
Because then there's no way to, if they make it blanket where you can't have them, you can't possess them, then it, then poachers can't just be like, well, I found fucking bold bold eagle bones. Now I'm going to sell them on the black market. If they say no, it's illegal to have it. Period. You cannot possess protected animal bones, then you can't use that as an excuse that you found it. You just can't have it. That makes total Do sense. Do not get on a high horse. You literally asked me if I liked the taste of bald eagle in front of a bunch of children one time. Yeah, but I didn't eat the fucking bald eagle in front of them. You took the bones. I didn't take bald eagle bones. These are pig bones. No, but you took human bones. They're pig. Okay, agree to disagree. It hadn't been tested. Prove it. You know what I mean? Gross. You're gross. You've got decaying <laughs> corpse so bones on your porch. How fucked up are your kids right now? Like, do they have to? They stare at it when they walk inside. Like, are they having nightmares? Mm -mm. My kids would never shut the fuck up about it. To be honest with you, they would be like, "Dad, are the bones still on the porch?" No, they're are they human bones. <laughs> Their kids are just numb to your bullshit. <laughs> ah, it's mom yeah, and her bones. I was like, smell them. They're terrible. And they were like, "Yeah." I said, "Smell them. They smell horrible." And they were like. No, and they just walked yeah. inside. They didn't care. Yeah, they're like, they're like, what kind of satanic shits our mom into now? Now we've got human bones decaying on our front porch, and it's not a with a tibia bag. and a femur. It's not even fun bones. All right. Yeah, God, I don't even know why we're friends. Okay, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> I. My co-host is harboring crime scene evidence, and we're true crime podcasters. And this is going to be a Sean true crime. Kelly says, if you leave it under your pillow, the murder fairy pays you a visit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, guys. Well, from myself and my felon co-host, Andrea Uplate, until <laughs> next time, guys. Cheers. <laughs> Good night, y'all. <laughs>